too. Hello, and welcome to Inside the Recording Studio. I am Jody Whitesides, and with me is Mr. Chris Hellstrom. How are you today, Chris? I'm doing very well, Jody. Doing very well. How about yourself? I'm feeling like a spry man. Sounds good. Yeah. yeah. Any reason for that, or are we just like in generally a good mood here? Oh, yoga and snow shoveling and tea. <laughs> it's been a, All right. It's there been you go. Very... You heard it, people. Yoga, snow shoveling, and tea. That's the <laughs> key to a healthy life. It is now. But, yeah. Right. There you go. Well, it's not going to hurt anyway. Well, you know, eating well, taking care of yourself and getting a little exercise. There you go. That's right. Um, yeah, but we got a lot to kind of get into today. So I think we should just kind of dive right in here because what are we talking about today, Jody? Big, giant background vocal production. That's yeah. my understanding anyway. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, that was the idea. And and we, we will touch briefly on just doesn't have to be giant vocal production. We will mention that as well. But but I think the the topic here is how we can get these big, massive sounding background um, vocals. There you go. That was pretty much in the name, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. that's why so, I said big yeah. giant or giant big or some variation thereof. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but but perhaps we should start with you know just go through that what. I consider at least, or maybe you as well, um, what types of, of background vocals we can consider. Although we're not okay. going to touch on them today, but th there could be just a single line, you know, that where just something happens, uh, perhaps as a response line to the lead vocal. It could be just a single harmony on something. But, but that's not necessarily what we're talking today. We're talking about a little bit more the big multiple type of thing. Sure, right? but when you say single line and or, mm -hmm. and or a response line, yeah, to me single line would in implicate. Is that the right word? Implicate uh, a single vocal. However, yeah, a single mm -hmm. melody line could be right. hundreds of vocals, depending on how you're dealing with it. So, I guess sure. it's kind of a misnomer on that one right there. Well, let me. It? Let me see if I can clarify that a little bit then. Um, what I'm thinking about in this case is anything that isn't the lead vocal line. Sure. So if it's something like if it's just a, a line that, that's a response line in between, that's not up front that that's the main line. That's what I consider still a background vocal. Sure. Um, so that that's what I mean with it's like a single line. Now, uh -huh. of course, it could be all of these back big production that we're going to talk about today that is very much, you know, melodic things and elements to that, obviously. But um, to me, I still consider just a response line or an ad lib, kind of like a background vocal, something that simply just in the background, not, not the lead line. So that's why I wanted to include that there as well. Gotcha. Gotcha. Makes sense? I, yeah, it makes sense. I'm not going to argue it. I was just trying to clarify there because a single line, as I said, could be sung by many, many people and sound pretty darn big, depending on how you do the production. Yeah. No, I suppose I should say instead of a single line, a, a single vocal 
Sure. Single vocal. Right. Yeah, that wouldn't be yeah. big. But right. Gotcha. Still oh, yeah. Let's Sometimes. move on. Stacking harmonies. Uh, yeah. This is kind of done like the the aren't you're thinking, I think, when you say this, or when you wrote the notes out for it, uh, stacking harmonies or stacked harmonies, you're thinking R&B and gospel, where you generally have a mm -hmm. choir of people doing this kind of stuff. I would even go so far as to add pop into that too, because there are pop productions that, that make big use of stacked vocals, although it's not nearly as often, but it does happen. Absolutely. No, but I mean, but the... The reason I wrote those notes there uh, is for me just to sort of conjure up that kind of vocal style, right? Whether it's, you know, now we're not simply uh, singing a response line or a single harmony. We, we're talking about, you know, stacking thirds and fifths and possibly even sevenths on top of ninths and sixths and all kinds of stuff depending on what you're doing yeah exactly we're singing 13 chords that might not be might be dense i'm yeah. sure somebody's done it but no but we're let's say we're, we're we're stacking thirds and fifths or you know octaves on top of something so so that that's when it's a little bit more structured yeah as far as the arrangement i guess that that would be um my my way of, of thinking of another one of those sure things yep yeah 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 and uh the next one i would is, i would relate the next one kind of akin to like the the hair metal era of the 80s totally <laughs> yeah and it's a um hockey choir is what you wrote down. yeah yeah hockey choir that's you know you, you imagine just like there's uh, I wouldn't say no regard to pitch, but it's basically a group of people just yelling what it is. Right? Mm. Whatever happens to be, just a bunch of people just kind of yelling out. Um, not necessarily super discernible pitch, more the effect of like a large group of people. Yes. Some other people out. might call this gang vocal style. Yep. That's, yeah, Rather same than stuff. Hockey yeah. choir, Ex but hockey choir equals gang vocal kind of thing. Where yeah, it well, sounds I'm, like I'm a gang from, of people shouting something out. Yeah, I'm from a hockey centric country, <laughs> so <laughs> it's it's hockey vocals. But yeah, hockey vocal or gang vocal that that's the same thing. Yeah, right. Now, uh, uh, it, I, I, I'm I'm curious as to what your next one is going to be. Well, the explanation there yes. of the of the throwing your voice thing. No, 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 no. Oh, the next one. Yeah, uh, the Mutt Lang. Um, yeah, I put this sort of like a Mutt Lang slash R and B type thing, and now I'm thinking of this multi, multi, multi layered vocal mm -hmm. where, let's say, comparatively to the stacked harmony that that we talked about initially here, where you might have a root, you might have a third, you might have a fifth. Mm -hmm. Or something. In this case, you might have those harmonies, but you've got multiples of each one. Yes. So let's say that you're singing the, the primary line or the primary backing vocal, and you might do that 20 times. Then you do the same thing on... The next one which might be the third or it might be the fifth or whatever, but, but just like multiples of these, right? Yep. And um, therefore, you're creating this massive 
kind of like wall of sound where, where you do not. And, and quite often, actually, these, um, I'm thinking of the Mutt Lang thing, um, not as structured or arranged as we will come to later with more like a, a queen style of a thing. Mm -hmm. But this might be just, just a multitude of, of voices that, that create this massive kind of thing. And this is also something that, you know, I think bled into more of R&B and pop in, let's say, you know, the early 90s when we started to hear this like really, really glossy kind of vocal production. So, so that's my, my way of thinking that just like that super, super stacked background vocals. Right. Maybe not singing all that many lines, but yeah. Gotcha. So out of curiosity, uh, because yeah. you're kind of saying that you're stacking harmony lines still, but you're just adding more voices. Isn't that the same kind of thing as a stacked harmony from like a gospel choir? Because you have a certain group of people singing one note, another group of people singing another note, and so on and so on. Isn't that kind of the same thing? Only now you're probably talking <laughs> that Mutt Lang did it individually per voice. Um, yeah, I mean, I think the result is very similar. Mm -hmm. But I think to me and my... Uh, perception is that a, um, a gospel vocal would be, let's say, more structured pitch-wise. Okay. But emotionally and timing-wise, it might be less structured. Um, so I, I guess if you want to look for definitions or, or my definition on that, um, more... On the Mutt Lang thing, it's more uh, focused on, like I say, the size, the number of voices, huh. and the timing. Okay. As opposed to uh, gospel, to me, would be more emphasis on um, pitch and emotion as opposed to gotcha. just like… Yeah, no, yeah. I was just trying to look for the clarification because they're, they're very yeah. similar-esque. You're, you're just kind of drawing Absolutely. a very fine line between the two of them. Yeah, yeah. And I think um, using these descriptions, I think it's more for, um, not that there are hard lines in between them, but more to to generate um, an image of what that sounds like. Sure. You know, uh, you know nobody's going to confuse like a gospel choir with a Mott Lang production or vice versa, you know. It, so it's Hopefully. just kind of like descriptive <laughs> words. Yeah. Well, context is everything, right? But sure. um, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah. All right. Well, and there's another one that you kind of hinted at, and it's the queen style of yeah. vocals, where you have yeah. tons and tons and tons and maybe hundreds of stacked voices going on. Probably, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And here where I draw the, for me, again, the... Um, the Should we blame Roy Thomas Baker for this, or is this more of a Freddie thing, do you think? That's a good question. I don't right. know. Because I think... I would think I would probably blame Freddie for the idea and and Roy Thomas Baker for the putting it together. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but um, this sort of takes on it's a very similar thing to uh, the Mutt Lang thing, right? But now we're dealing with much uh, more sophisticated harmony, I would say. You know where. Okay. Uh, th there might be moving lines a lot more than just singing a, a static note. line. Sure. Yeah. So it, it's more that you can think um, maybe um, Kansas in like Wayward Son, that, that kind of thing. There's also those 
All the lines are moving. We think, and, and yeah, moving. perhaps a sticks type of a thing where it's just like, it, it's, it's prettier. It, it, it's not, you know, it, it's very glossy, all of it, but it's prettier and it's more orchestrated, I think. That, that's where I draw, sure. you know, the parallels. You know who did a real good job with this too was uh, Eric Valentine. I'm did, sure. Did yeah. some really amazing stuff with vocals on his actual, his first, I don't know if his first band, but definitely an early band of his, T-Ride was the name of the band. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. T-Ride. So it was a three-piece group and these guys were doing things like, it was almost like you had Queen melded into the bodies of like maybe uh, Queen mixed with Jellyfish mixed with King's X meets heavy metal, I guess is the best way of saying it. I'm not sure yeah. how to even express, ex explain it, but just unbelievable production. And I, I, that's where Eric Valentine really kind of, I think, cut his chops was – doing that stuff on that band of his is absolutely yeah. astounding. And the vocal harmonies that they did in there are just incredible. It was like a mix yeah. of queen with the concept of the gospel and the mutt Lang all in one, you know, it was insane yeah. stuff. Yeah. That, that's, that's sort of like a, I don't want to say classic album, but I'll say classic album because, <laughs> because of all that it, it, it's not many people know about it. Right. But um, it it's got some really cool, you know, parts and, and, and songs. Um, I don't remember who sang lead on that. Dan R. Um, Lee, I believe, is his name. Okay. He was the bass um, bass player singer, uh, and I want to say his last name is R. Lee. And I, I, but I'm I might be misremembering it. But I'm pretty. I know his name is Dan. So yeah. And then the guitar. Well, it, it was, there was a three. It was three piece, yeah, but ahead. there were two different guitar players that played on almost all of it. Um, we're really delving off onto a side tangent here, but real quickly, yeah. the main guitar player was Jeff Tyson. And then, mm -hmm. uh, so he was the guy that was in the band and he played a bunch of the stuff. But then there's also a guy named Steve. Uh, and Steve's last name is going to escape me right now. But many people have actually heard Steve's playing outside of ride obviously he is the main guy that records almost all of the guitar parts for guitar hero the guitar hero games oh okay so cool. that's the guy yeah. his name's steve right. and yeah God, his last name's going to escape me it's going to piss me off i'm going to you have to it put up. it on the show notes but, but yeah <laughs> but it's uh it's an interesting album i'm not sure if it's because i believe it was on a smaller label so it may not be it was on hollywood on records stream. Oh, was it? So, yeah, it's a very minor, little unheard label. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, but I'm not sure if it's on streaming services. If it is, you check it out for nothing else but but the vocal production, which is pretty cool. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. It, you yeah. would be hard-pressed if – oh, Steve Womet. Okay. God, God, just got it. Sorry. Steve Womet is the uh, name of the other guitar player that played on that, on that album and is like the big – to do for guitar playing behind the guitar hero type games. It's like, he's, right. he's the guy and his guitar chops are beyond. <laughs> uh, uh, up to par, shall we say. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, so let, let's get this train back on track here. Yep, yep. Um, so we've talked about different ways of sort of approaching um, background vocals from an idea or a sound type of uh, perspective. Um, and determining this, of course, you know, we'll, we'll 
obviously depend on the track where you're kind of going to do. Now, sometimes it can work to do something that is off-kilter, kind of like the T-Ride thing, where it's mm-hmm. sort of like this metal track and you have these super glossy vocals and it just works. Oh, right? yeah. They, that's, yeah. I, I seriously believe that that's why Eric Valentine is the producer extraordinaire, recording engineer, mix engineer that he is today, is because of that stuff. Seriously. Yeah. Yeah, certainly the, the begin. Well, at least when I became aware of him mm-hmm. I, from from that album. So, um, I hinted at something there when we were talking about gospel versus the Mutt Lang thing. And here's a question for you: When you're thinking of these giant dun, background dun, dun. vocals, yes, is timing and rhythm more important than pitch when you do these? <sighs> You know, there was probably a point, and and uh, today's answer would be it's program dependent mm-hmm. because pitch isn't going to be as necessary in, say, a punk track as it would be in, say, a pop track. So sure. there was a point, though, where I distinctly remember hitting this switch, so to speak, in my head of like, oh, my how amazing is the vocal production on a particular song? And that happened in a Lenny Kravitz tune. And I remember I was sitting mm-hmm. in a movie theater when I heard that, and it was the song Fly Away. Yeah. And if people don't remember that song or they've not heard it, you need to go look up Lenny Kravitz, his tune Fly Away. And I know that's on streaming services, so you can hear it, but I believe it's off the album that he did called Five. I'm not... I could be wrong about that. But the vocal production on that, where he starts singing and he's got these massive layers of vocals going on. I was sitting with another famous singer in the movie theater when we heard that song. And I was like, do you think that that's like edited in some way where they used something? Because this was before Melodyne really kind of hit the system, so to speak. Yeah. And, and, And whatnot. And he goes, oh, no. He tracked every single one of those. And of course, you know, it was Jeff Soto who was telling me this. He's yeah. like, no, he he literally, he sat there and what he probably did is anytime anything was ever slightly off, they, scr- you know, they scrapped that take and they did it again. So that was like one of those things where it was done over and over and over and over and over. So it's like the Mutt Lang thing that you're talking about, but it's got this yeah. massive gospel choir kind of feel to it, but it's like pitch perfection. <laughs> <laughs> it's mm. just like it is it blew me away more so than say like listening to to what t-ride because at the time i heard t-ride before i heard the fly away tune i was like yeah it sounds great but i wasn't thinking in terms of like how perfect it sounded yeah so fly away is probably that point where it was like i think all three of those things become intertwinably important, but it also is very dependent upon the type of music that you are producing. If you're doing pop, yeah, today's pop pretty much, it's a given that that you have to have the timing, you have to have the rhythm, and you have to have the pitch all together. If it's not there, it doesn't sound pop today, so to speak. Uh, Right. But I do agree that in order to get some things to sound maybe technically more human, if that's what you're going for, then the biggest thing that you're going to be throwing away or, or not paying as hard attention to is the pitch. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, the, the reason why I, I bring it up, because I think, and this is particularly, 
you know, uh, valid for the larger stack that you're doing. Mm -hmm. I would argue that the timing and the rhythm of it is more important because well, yeah, yeah. those slight now the slight changes in pitch. I'm not talking about Massive yeah, he's singing a minor nine, you know, <laughs> or he's um, out by a quarter step. I mean, that would be huge, right? Yeah, exactly. But but just a little bit of those things make it larger. I mean, th yep. that's you know why a choir sounds like a choir because it, it it's those minor discrepancies, sure. right? Um, so my point that I wanted to get to with that is if, if somebody's working in getting those sort of like massive background vocals, I would pay at first when you're sitting down and you might be going through and editing these that say that they've all been tracked already, mm -hmm. um, is correct the timing first. Sure. Uh, so that everything starts and ends at the same time and yep. the inflections in there, right? Uh, before you start tuning everything to 100%. Yeah. And then you might actually lose some of the hugeness that you might be intending to do. Um, you mentioned Lenny Kravitz there. Yep. Where this is, I think, if it's from that album, and I could be wrong, but I think that's the first album that he recorded um, in Pro Tools. Because I think prior to that, he was a big, 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 big proponent yeah. of analog yeah. and, and tape, gear. Yeah. But I think that was the first time he did that. Um, well, was, you know, the funny thing the, about that album is influential, not necessarily on the songwriting for me, but the packaging, uh -huh. because the packaging was cool. Oh, yeah. So. Yeah. I think <laughs> for me, it was like, that, that was, yeah, but that was the first Lenny Kravitz that I really got into. Well, it was, I think, it was a huge album for him. Yeah, I think it was really cool. But anyway. Um, Getting back so to So when point. he was doing that, yeah, mm -hmm. um, even though that, you know, everything was sort of tracked perfectly. Yep. I'm willing to bet that looking at, with all the tools that we have today, there are probably minor, minor pitch discrepancies in there yep. that probably contribute to the sure. hugeness of it. No, and, so and that's why I'm saying that I don't here. think, because it was Jeff's, it's not so much of, of my opinion, but Jeff's opinion that he said, no, he didn't use Melodyne or anything to tune the vocals. They literally probably did. Vocal take after vocal yeah. take after vocal take. If it wasn't good enough, they would scrap the take and they would do another take. Yep. And and yeah, it, it, this doesn't just apply to vocals because I heard the same kind of story, and maybe you've heard this with Nuno Betancourt and Extreme on their second album, that there are just mm -hmm. hundreds of reels of tape because they would do take after take after take after take to make sure that it was like take perfection, not fixed perfection so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. So. And it, right. And that uh, makes a difference. It uh, does make a difference. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I, I absolutely agree. It's, uh, I think it was one of my favorite um, guitar players, Steve Lukather, mm -hmm. said one time in an interview, it's like, when you start overdubbing the overdubs, that's when you know you're in trouble. You know? <laughs> and uh, that's, you know, so, so get it right. If you have to do it again, do it again, do it again, do it again. That, right. that was the mud lying thing again. That they say used to be like a train, like, do it again, do it again, do it again. You know? um, yep. But anyway, so, so when we're coming to all these pitch and timing things, yes. um, 
what what are some of the tools that we have for pitch correction? We mentioned a couple there. But well, I've the, already kind of dropped what, a hint on it. It's Melodyne. Uh, the yeah. first the first big one that really got the 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 name going, so to speak, and people still use the name today, regardless of whether they use the actual software. Is auto yeah, it's like a verb now. Yeah, yeah, the verb. It's like Kleenex. It's it's auto tune, and it was, I believe, on Terrace or on Terry's. Yep, on Terry's that created yep. auto tune, and that was the first mm -hmm. major pitch correction software that was out there. And yep. then uh, you have other things that are built into DAWs today. You know, like Flex Pitch with Logic, as an example. Yep. Uh, but uh, there's also um, Synchro Arts, I, th I think they have a pitch corrector, but I don't recall the title of it off the top of my head. Yeah. I know that in I, terms of timing correction, Vocaline, which is by Synchro Arts, yeah. is pretty much top of the game. And they've got a new version of it out now called Vocaline Ultra. Is it real voice? No, it's not real voice. Is it? Ah, Synchro Arts is going to slap me in the face if I don't like get this right, right? Um, I can't... Yeah. Anyway, in terms of the Make, timing, put it in the show notes. Yeah, I'll put it in the yeah. show notes. Um, that in terms of timing correction, Vocaline is kind of like king of the hill, and then they've yeah. got a brand new version out now called Vocaline Ultra, because uh, there's also Vocaline Pro, and then there's a couple of like lesser, and it just based on the level that you buy it for is what it's capable of doing with how many tracks at any given time. Melodyne also has timing correction depending mm -hmm. on the level of Melodyne that you purchase. Some of it, right. like if you get, is it Melodyne Studio? Is that the high-end version? I believe it is. Uh, yeah. Well, because maybe. Melodyne yeah. Studio, I think, is is kind of like having Vocaline and Melodyne tied into the same software in that you can set one track to be your lead and then you can have it pitch correct and time align everything to that track within Melodyne, but it's like their most expensive version. And I think it's Melodyne Studio that does that. And then, uh, as I said, Vocaline, Vocaline Ultra. And then if you're talking DAW stuff, and we'll just give Logic another shout at this point with Flex Time, which is similar yeah. to Flex Pitch, but it, it works with the timing. But that is manually oriented and other versions of Melodyne are manually hand done too. You can correct time in Melodyne if you don't have studio, but you have to do it by hand, which is a pain in the ass. <laughs> yeah. It, it, yeah. I mean, if you're, if you're talking, you know, a few hundred vocal tracks stacked on top of each other, that could be that. But, but sometimes that's what we have to do. But, you know, both you and I are big proponents of, you know, if if there is an automatic option, that's great. But you be prepared to go in and do manual changes to it. Yeah, after yeah, that, yeah. I, I'm very much a proponent of manual shit. That way, you can kind of control it beyond. Not to say that I haven't used automated tools, but it's I'm I'm definitely not a giant fan of the auto pitch correction in Melodyne or. Auto-tune or any of the others. And I'm not referring to the type of auto-pitch correction where it comes to like the T-Pain effect where you're doing it right. in order to throw the pitch all over the place as, as, as an effect. I'm talking about when you're actually trying to tune something, a lot of the time the automated tuning is not nearly as good as the tuning of doing it by hand with your ear, <laughs> so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that that's true. And that that's an important point because sometimes – it's very easy to start listening with our eyes, right? And sure. it's like, oh, look at that. That that graph looks like it's on the A flat. But 
you know, you listen to the like pitch an and it doesn't yeah. sound it. Yeah, it's, right. So it's definitely so, better to you know, do it by hand. Trust your ear. Um, it takes a little longer, but that work yeah. pays off. And that's if you're being lazy or actually I shouldn't say if you're being lazy, technically speaking, it would depend upon the type of vocalist that you're working with. Can the vocalist actually sing in pitch and time and, and whatnot and keep carry a good rhythm? Cause be honest, some vocalists can't do it, but yeah. that's not to say they're terrible vocalists. It's just, they don't have a consistency to how they do things. So rather than being lazy with somebody that's capable of doing this, it's much better to go, as maybe mentioned earlier, the Lenny Kravitz route. If, if the take is bad, dump it, do another take, get it right, get it right at the source. So you don't have yeah. to spend so much time quote unquote, fixing it in the end, because fixing it yeah. in the end is a pain in the ass. And obviously sometimes you hear the fixes. Sometimes you don't, it depends on how far off the fix is. So it's not so much being yeah. lazy. It's just, you know, put in the, put in the effort at any given step along the way in the recording and you, it'll pay off dividends in the final product. So absolutely. Yes. And with that, before we step into our next section of the podcast, we will take a moment from our sponsor. And what are we looking at now? We're looking at how to treat these once they're tracked. Uh, EQ, compression, that type of thing. And so my question for you uh -oh. is when you're doing this, mm -hmm. um, do you treat these tracks the same way you would your lead or are you sometimes perhaps a little bit less conservative and more drastic EQ compression settings? The answer is it's a night and day difference. Yeah. Yep. I treat the lead vocal so? very, very differently from any kind of background vocal more often than mm -hmm. that. Um, uh, the best way to say this is with background vocals, generally I'm not going to do EQing or any kind of individual effect on a single vocal. I'm going to group a right. whole bunch of them together and I'm going to do the whole fell swoop in one big grouping. So if there's 40 background vocals, they will be going to a bus and the single bus will be doing the EQ on the sing, you know, on the entire grouping. Mm -hmm. The compression will affect the entire grouping as well. Now, maybe there's an individual track or two in there that's got something wild going on that might require adding either a cutoff filter of some sort or additional compression on one or two of the tracks or a vocal or, or a, a fader ride to control it before it hits the group. But generally speaking with background vocals, I'm tackling the entire group in one fell swoop with, with one channel. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. And, and that's just to, to clarify this, we're not talking now uh, obviously about the pitch or the timing correction. We're talking about the processing as the far processing as like of the, the sound and yeah. gluing it together. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And one way to do that where I would probably approach it, let's say that we have a three-part harmony. Um, I would send all of each harmony to their their individual auxiliary, treat them so that I, I could have control over uh, the, the third should come up a little bit here or the, the fifth should be coming up here or down or whatever, just so I have control over those groups as well. Right. And then perhaps down the line, make another group of that. Um, of the entire that background be, selection is what you're yeah, saying. Yeah. So right. I, I will agree with that concept. Mm -hmm. However, I generally don't tend to break out individual harmonies 
to individual mm-hmm. buses before sending them to a final background bus. Generally speaking, I've done it a few times, but it also is heavily dependent upon how many channels of that particular harmony is is there. If it's three, if it's less than four, I'm not putting it on its own bus. I will right. Group, yeah. I will use a group function, so to speak, that moves all three of them at once by attacking one of the faders <coughs> rather than running them through a bus and, and then doing the automation on the bus. However, if it gets to be like six or more per part, yeah, then I would do that. Then I would break it out that way. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm thinking now if we're talking Queen or, or Mutt Lang style vocal here where you have like... 20. Well, yeah, that that type of thing. The interesting thing, if we kind of sidestep for just a moment on the queen thing, I don't Mm -hmm. think they were breaking it down to individual channels. They were literally flying by the seat of their pants a lot of the time, overdubbing, 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 so to speak, and so on ad infinitum to a point where even there were... Is it is it the Bohemian Rhapsody where they said that that so many overdubs happened? The tape was wearing out. The tape out, was, right? you could see through the tape. That's pretty yeah. scary because at that point yeah. now you've wasted, you know, you've done all these things. And that's that goes back to the old school way of working with uh, four track cassettes or even just any kind of tape player where you ran out of tracks, you bounced them all down to one track and opened up the rest of the tracks that you had left and then stacked again. And then you may you yeah, maybe yeah, yeah. go through that process five or six times, and then you bounce all of those stacks, which is what I'm assuming Queen did. So they would fill up, you know, twenty or so tracks of these vocals. Then they would bounce them down to a track, and then they would do twenty more vocals and, and or nineteen, and then they'd bounce that down. And then maybe they got all those stacked together, and they'd bounce all those stacks down to one. So it. it it, it's an entirely different process than working with a DAW because in a DAW, you don't necessarily suddenly have problems with the tape wearing out. You have problems with maybe there's too many channels for your computer to handle, at which point then you might want to bounce them down to uh, a singular file and and move to a new template or something that allows you to work with that singular file rather than 20 or 40 of the others. And you sure. keep going that way. So it's similar, yeah. but it's just, yeah, it's a little bit different in terms of how you'd work. Yeah. And uh, as far as like EQ and stuff, what what are some of the moves that you might think? Because I I tend to, obviously it depends on what, what you know, harmony is being sung at a certain point here, right? But, but um, I will be, let's say generally, um, a little bit more aggressive with the EQ where I might cut a little higher up um, from from a, a low cut standpoint, mm-hmm. just so that if you have, you know, again, if we got like 20 or 40 vocals singing uh, in a certain range, it's going to build up pretty quickly. So yes. to make that fit in where they're assuming there's still bass and drums and things going on, uh, I might cut that a little bit um, higher than I might, um, than I might just say 150 or something like that, or, yep. to, or possibly even higher, but because we're, we're going for the effect more often than not, or at least I am. Yes. Um, now the other end of the audio spectrum there with the high end, um, it depends a little bit because if you're wanting that super glossy kind of thing, you might want to boost a little bit in the high end, but you have to be careful there that you're not adding so much information up there that that everything else is just kind of getting lost. Um, 
But generally, I, I think I can be a little bit more aggressive with, with EQ moves there uh, on the, the backing vocal as, as a whole. Uh-huh. Um, but that's me. I, I would agree uh, with it. Um, generally speaking, with the the high pass filter, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm running a little more aggressive with that. Yeah. Especially if there's a lot of low vocals. Right. Uh, in terms of the low pass filtering type thing. I generally will low pass filter pretty heavily. Like I probably would bring it down ten to ten or eight k. Oh, okay. Yeah, I so, I bring it down quite a bit because the the bigger thing because again this is program dependent, but that's the general rule for me. And the reason for it yeah. is is I don't want the the background vocals technically to be outshining the lead vocal in terms of its space. Which is why I bring it yeah. down pretty heavily and bring it up pretty far. Uh, I leave it and more. No, in the no shelving on that at all, or, or generally for you? No. No, not really, because the background vocal is there for support. It's not there for to be shining. Now, if there's a if there's a reason, like it's a response line, which yeah. then it needs to be intelligible and it needs to be kind of there and, and present. One or two of the vocals I'll lead out with uh, something like that. And then the rest of them, I'll be treating them to kind of be more supportive of that. But right. yeah, generally speaking, as if it's a background vocal to to support the lead vocal, I'm I'm not going to allow it to shine nearly as much as the lead, yeah. so to speak. Yeah, yeah. No, th- this um, I think this becomes also a little bit of style and content dependent. Mm-hmm. Where it's if it's uh, let's say that we're talking about an R and B track where um, the backgrounds are let's say generally supporting the lead. Yes. Right? Yep. Uh, or if you're talking about that huge Mott Lang hard rock type of a thing yep. where it might be that that's almost like the, the the weight of the chorus, right? And the lead might be just filling in holes and whatever is going on there as well. So um, but we have to be a little bit careful in, in the high in the high end, I think, yeah. so just to make sure that it doesn't take over completely, unless that's the intention, of course. But, yeah, but it, uh, again, the it's, it's, it's the very dependent upon the programming of, of what the vocal is needing to do. So yeah, uh, if yeah. there's a lead, that lead, to me, generally speaking, yeah. needs to stand out, unless it's yeah. you know, unless it's meant to be an ad lib or or whatever. It, again, there's there's always a time to break the rule that I'm mentioning sure. in my generality here but it's not yeah but the generality is there because that's the general reason of doing something so sure yeah so generally speaking if i'm taking a giant group of background vocals i'm going to be cutting pretty hard maybe all the way up to 300 who knows for my yeah. high pass filter and my low pass filter is probably coming all the way down to 8k it Generally speaking though that's because i'm making room for the lead vocal to outshine that yeah. And, you and know, everything else, you know, all the instrumentation and the, you know, yep. guitars or bass and drums and possibly keyboards or what have you. And depending uh, on the vocal, that, I may also scoop a little bit around the 2K mark. Again, to make room for to the lead. To make room for that lead, or? yeah. So that it, yeah. so that the lead is really being intelligible and the, and the background vocal is not stepping on that intelligibility. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you tend to be... Um, little bit more heavy-handed on the uh, compression settings or anything or do you, do you tend yes. to still stick with like 3db or something or do you do you get a little heavier with that 
Uh, it will depend on the... Boy, what's a good way of saying this? It will depend, I don't want to say program dependent, but it will depend upon the line itself and what is needed out of the line. The more mm -hmm. support that is there, generally the harder I can go with it on, uh, I would borderline instead of compression limiting. Yeah. To bring everything to a uniform situation. And that's much more in a pop sense. You know, if I need something that's going to be Americana or something of that nature, I'm probably not doing that to the background vocals in the same method that I would in a giant pop production. But yeah, yeah that that would be a way of, of saying, you know, um, I'm going to be heavier handed on those background vocals for sure. Yeah. In the, in the yeah. compression limiting situation. Sure. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree with that because it's almost like you're treating – the background vocal, like it's not 50 different elements. It's one instrument that mm -hmm. just is there for support. So we, we can be a little bit heavier handed on that. Yes. Um, now, lastly, um, what about effects, reverb, delays, that type of thing? Yep. Or do you leave them dry? No, I use them. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, it, again, it will be dependent on how the vocal or vocals are recorded. If it's a choir mm -hmm. and it's done in a giant choir room, hopefully you've got room mics that are picking up the actual room sound and the vocal <laughs> and the yeah. and the mics that they're using to mic the choir are not so close to the individual's voices that all you're getting is the voice. You're going to probably be picking up a fair amount of room with it, which is yeah. the desired effect of why you'd have a choir. Now, if you are right. making your own choir because you're singing into a mic multiple times on multiple tracks, that's a slightly different story. Depending on how your room set up and how close you record yourself to the mic, generally speaking, if I am recording a choir out of a single person or a couple of different people, I am going to arrange them differently on every single take. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, that yeah. they're, oh, that's a cool they're at different points so, yeah. of the room and different uh, different uh, distances from the mic to give different vibe to how that particular take is going to sound. And then when you start to stack that up, you may find that you're okay and you don't need to add anything. But generally, a little bit of reverb, and the reverb will be heavily EQ'd in order for mm -hmm. it to not start overstepping a ton of bounds on everything. But yeah, I, I definitely yeah. will use some reverb depending on... Uh, the type of line and what needs to happen. Sometimes there'll be delay. Sometimes I'm going to throw a little chorusing on it. Sometimes I may throw a little distortion on it, but it's, it's dependent upon what I'm doing and, and what the mix what is the requiring is. And, and what the song is telling me it needs. Yeah. Right. So that Americana track, you don't, you, you're not going to go a bit crusher on the, <laughs> probably <laughs> on not the background vocals. Nah. <laughs> probably. Yeah. <laughs> Right. But, yeah, you know, going down sweetening. down the road of like maybe some kind of Nine Inch Nails dis industrial kind of thing, sure, I'll throw some bit crusher and some and some distortion on that, but, you know, background vocal of whatever, because that will be sound appropriate for the genre. Be par for the course. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. So I think we um, – anything else that you'd like to add to that? But, but that that's, you know, a relatively in-depth thing what I like to do when, when I'm dealing with these – background vocals and it sounds like you as well. So anything else that you would like to touch on there before we move on? Yeah. You know, the bigger thing is, is to be aware of, of your vocalist or your vocalists 
depending on how you're dealing with the tracking of this stuff. I know we're mm-hmm. kind of mostly talking, of, seems like in the mixing end of things, but in the tracking end of things, be aware of, of your vocalist or vocalists and, and how you're arranging them in the situation. As if you're using a single mic and you're doing the gang vocals, you might have somebody who's extremely loud compared to the other people. So you got to move that person back away from the rest of the group as you're taking a take so that you get a balance in the vocal of all the people that are chanting at the same time. So, uh, you know, we, uh, you and I have worked on a project, uh, one called, uh, do you want to play that Mm -hmm. was stacked vocals from here to tomorrow with the chanting and the, and the, but the interesting thing about that particular song is, is that there is a lead line, but in addition to that, the chorus has multiple harmony lines that are all just as quote unquote important as the main vocal that happens yeah. as well that's interspersed in between. So that's an example of where you're not treating the background vocals so much as a background as it is. It's just a, supposed to invite imbibe the feeling of a stadium of people all singing the same, you know, singing these lines together and, and making a harmony of how it happens. So it again is program dependent, but that being said, that's one of those instances where it was like every single take was done at a different distance in a different arc or from from the mic from yeah. the mic so it wasn't always straight onto the mic sometimes it's off to a few degrees off center or 10 degrees off center to 15 degrees or even closer to 90 degrees off center it, yeah just depending on how it's good pretty, the mic is yeah it, it's um when you said you had to pay attention to you if you have multiple people singing background at the same time yes um i don't remember what the name of it was but there was a documentary made about the Beach Boys, and they show them as they're tracking background vocals, how, and, and you want to talk about harmonies, right? Oh, yeah, and, yeah. and how they would, you know, there would be, you know, surrounding one microphone, mm. and then as they would, they would actually play that microphone with the distance, they would take a step back when they're singing a certain line and moving around like that. So having complete control over that, it, that that's that's pretty impressive. You know, Live arrangement it, right there. Yeah, yeah. And necessitated by limitations of technology, perhaps. Right. right. So, um, yeah, so those are good. I mean, other things that we can do, and this, this might sound hokey and probably feel even hokier as you're doing it. <laughs> Ooh, do it. Uh, but yeah, but but it's um if you have if let's say that you're the only singer that you have or you know you have another singer that that's doing it and you're trying to build up this massive um vocal, it can actually be a way to just like throw off your voice. Like what, when you're singing a certain line. So let's say that you have your, your natural singing voice, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but you can sort of pretend to be a different person. Yes. So instead of speaking like this, I'm speaking like this, right? So using the same kind of idea when you're singing. Now, this might be a little bit better suited for those like gang vocal type of things that, yeah. that we talked about. Mm-hmm. But um, it is a different way of sort of like maximizing and adding another element to uh, the backing vocals where, you know, it, it, 
In other words, play a different character with each take on your voice if you're going for that kind of gangy kind of vocal if you don't have a gang of people to do it with. So throwing your voice almost seems like you're trying to be a ventriloquist, but uh, changing the character or tone of your voice as you're doing it might be a different way of saying it that would help. Right. And also, you know, keep in mind that unless you play it for them, nobody's going to hear the vocals <laughs> singled out. So it, it's the, the main effect that, 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 uh, that is the most important thing and the result. Oh, yeah. So oh, with that, yeah. why don't we jump into Friday Finds? Chris, let's do you it. kick it yeah. off. Um, uh, I think this segment should be sponsored by Plugin Alliance here in the near future <laughs> because I have another Plugin Alliance thing that I, I checked out this week. Mm. And it's a new bass amp sim. I usually sing the praises of their ba- or their amp sims overall. But um, I tried out the uh, Galleon Kruger bass amp sim by Plugin Alliance Brainworks. And um, yeah, as usual, I'm, I'm really impressed. I'm, I've played with it for a demo here for a couple of days and uh, I like it. It's really deep. It's got multiple IRs. It's got multiple everything. Um, but a bass amp, I, I, I sing the praises of the Logic ones all the time <laughs> that I use those, but for whatever reason, I, I seem to think that there are better options out there and there might be. And uh, I talked about the Nembrini a couple of weeks ago, but this week, my Friday find is the Galleon Kruger bass amp sim from Brainworks, Plug yeah. Alliance. They definitely had a sound that uh, was very potent for bass for a while. Yeah. Much like the, the SVT-810 cabinet with you know, the Fender P-bass type sound. Um, hmm, yeah. Well, what do you got for us? I, you know, I was going to change my mind, but I, I think I'm going to stick with my first choice just because of Do what it. you've already said. <laughs> and it would sound dickish of me not to follow along. Uh, I, too, found something fun and new from Plugin Alliance this week. And I jumped on their sale that they had. And I'm sure they'll have another one in the future on this particular item. It is the Focus Right. Focus right. That's easier said than said. Um, the Focus Right console plugin from Plugin Alliance. And uh, knowing more that Focus Right today is generally speaking a audio interface. That's how most people would mm-hmm. associate Focus Right at this point. Um, Focus Right made ten consoles in their history, and. Hmm. Uh, there are no longer 10. There's only nine of them that are still around, apparently. But that is an interesting console. And I got this email saying, hey, we're putting this thing on sale. So I went and checked it out. I downloaded it, tried it, and like, okay, boom, take my money. <laughs> there you go. That's how they get you. That's they're, how they're they the get masters you right there. Of that, man. Yes, they are. So yes, I now own the Focusrite console plugin and I'm excited to actually do an entire mix through every channel strip being on a Focusrite channel strip. The thing that I find really interesting about it, and I, it makes me wonder if UA does this, which I'm not sure they do. Focusrite has a function in their plugin that 
changes the character of each channel strip version of the plugin. So it's not exactly the same from channel strip to channel strip. So that it yeah. operates much like how an actual hardware console would operate because not every channel is going to sound identical to the next channel next to it. So mm -hmm. uh, I'm, I'm interested in really diving into that to hear those little discrepancies and, and see if I can even find them. <laughs> yeah, go down <laughs> that rabbit hole. Go down the <laughs> rabbit hole of like, hmm, this channel strip doesn't sound like that channel strip. How Because I'm not sure that you can technically select which one you want it to sound like. Yeah, you can. Oh, you yeah. can. So, yeah, not not different channels, but but, but but the channels on each individual plugin, right? So, the the first one that you pull up will emulate channel one and two on said console, oh. uh, and so will each and every one. But you can set them to whichever one you want. So you can have the first plugin being like one and two, and then the next one being three and four, and and consecutive up. But you could also go like. Oh, I like all my drums on seven and eight. So you can set that as well, or you can randomize it. So that, yeah. Interesting. Good See, luck I going down delved, that rabbit yeah, hole. I haven't yeah. delved that far in, but I do plan on doing it. <laughs> so yeah. there is my choice. It is the focus right from PA. So yes. Know. Now we should probably tell people, you know what? You like listening to us because you've made it this far in the podcast. How about telling two or three of your friends and pass it on because if you think of it as in tell two friends, that's an old commercial from the seventies. I think it is called the well of Bells. I think it's well of balsam is the name of the shampoo commercial. Like <laughs> I told two friends and they told two friends and so on and so on. Or you could treat it like the concept of the movie, pay it forward. And with pay it forward, it is you do one nice thing for three other people. And that one nice thing is to tell them to listen to this podcast, right? Because then they tell three people and they tell three people and so on and so on and suddenly we're covering the globe. So that would be <laughs> awesome if you would do that. In addition to that, yes. if you would like to give us a review and we hope that you would, would you would go to inside the recording studio.com forward slash reviews and get the link to go right to Apple podcasts and throw down a good set of words that say, Hey, I really enjoy these guys. You should check them out too. In addition to that, you can sign up to our email list at inside the recording studio forward slash dot uh, inside the recording studio.com forward slash gift or on any individual page, pretty much on the website. There is a email form that you can fill out and put your name on our email list. And that way you'll get weekly reminders of things that have just happened. In addition to that, you will get a gift of some plugin presets from Chris and I for all things Slate and all things Universal Audio. Well, or at least small portions of all of those things of each. <laughs> <laughs> it's worth it. It's Just worth it. Just exactly. sign up. For and the in addition list. to that, if you send us an email at goldstar, G O L D S T A R, at inside the recording studio.com, you might just get something fun back in your email. And if you have a topic of suggestion for us to talk about in a future episode, contact us on our contact page. We'll put it into consideration for a future episode. And with that, I'm ready to say, have a good week. Indeed. Have a good one, Jody. Thanks for listening, everybody.